The sad reality is 86% of American churches have either plateaued or are dying. Less than 20% of Americans are in a Christian church on any given weekend. You don't even have to read religious material. Read it in your newspaper. Churches are dying and they can't figure out what they're doing wrong. As a matter of fact, they think they're doing it right. God spoke to us and said that we should actually plant a church. It was challenging and oftentimes you set up and you look behind and there's not that many people there and, and it got really discouraging at times. We grew, relocated from 70 to about 400 kind of got stuck right there and began to communicate with Dr. Jim Wall. In 2007, we started the Acts 2 Network specifically to catalyze a movement that would restore the dynamics of the original Acts 2 church in our times. Being an Acts 2 church, that really enthused me because um, we're always looking for new ways of doing church. And I think to a large extent, we've really cluttered what church is today. Uh, because of Acts 2 Network coming in and saying, hey man, you guys are doing so many things right but we, can, we, can, we need to work on this area, we need to evaluate that area, and just gave tremendous, helpful, practical advice. And Acts 2 really helped us by um, supporting us to, to ensure that the environment that we were in was comfortable, it was attractive, um, and that takes support, it takes money, and also that our leadership was also prepared. We just had 2,700 broke a record attendance on a Sunday and uh, we, our staff just said this, we believe our best days are ahead of us, still not behind us. Today at our last service we had uh, over 100 people and so it's been great being a part of not just an organization or an affiliation or institution but being a part of a movement, building people and church being about authentic relationship. It is a movement. It is a, it's a, <laughs> I know this is so cliche, it's a God thing. It's God. The question is, how do you finance a movement? And the answer is by giving those people who believe in the movement a chance to share their resources with it. And that's exactly what I'm asking you to do. For as little as $20 a month, we'll make sure that you get a free copy of Unmuted, Restoring Your Church's Voice, that describes the movement in detail. You'll get access to a monthly e-newsletter that keeps you up to date with what's going on across the globe. You'll have the opportunity to share prayer needs with our intercessory prayer team, and you'll get a discount at all of the resources and events that the network provides. So come on, be a part of a movement that God is blessing. Be a part of making a difference in our world. Thank God for the move of God across the world. Can we appreciate what God is doing in the world? Amen. Good morning, Bridge. Well, I got a good morning over here. I got nothing over here. I don't know what that's about. Let me explain something to you. I know what you're used to with Pastor Farrell, but uh, I'm not as funny as he is. 
but I do need feedback. And, and the quieter you are, the longer windeder I get. So good morning, Bridge. I knew you had it. Can we, can we kick off with a question? It's a multiple guest question. Uh, I won't embarrass you, but, but track with me for a minute, okay? What do the following people have in common? A firefighter who runs into the building when everybody else is running out. A soldier who leaves everybody he or she loves to fight a battle on the other side of the planet. Parents of a new baby. Members of the bridge. Ministry partners in the Acts 2 network. I could go on the list, but are you seeing a common thread in any of those? All of those people have a cause worth living for. All of those people have decided that there is something more important than the thank God it's Friday parties they used to go to. That there is something bigger than going to work, paying the bills, retiring, and dying. There is there's something worth giving their one and only lives to. They have a mission that matters. They are not just uh, spectators in life, uh, consumers of life. They are the participators in life. They are the producers in life. In a word, they are warriors. Every one of them has a cause that worth, that's worth fighting for. I'm wondering this morning if there are any warriors in this house. Uh, I was going to ask if there was any princess warriors, but that's what I heard. Are there any godly guy warriors in this house? Hoorah! All right, I got some hoorahs in here. Fact of the matter is, that's what God's looking for. We serve a God who's known by many, many different names. I love the worship set this morning because we talked about our God as Savior and Redeemer, and yet we talked about our God as, as holy and righteous, and all the world trembles at His name. There, there is this um, awareness of the multiple uh, ideas of who God is, but it's all congealed in what we're talking about this morning in Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, that simply says, read it with me, it's on your screens, the Lord is a, oh come on, you can do better than that. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. We love to think about the grace of God, we love to think about the mercy of God, and we should. But let there be no mistake about it, our God is a warrior and he is well aware of the fact that there is a battle for the souls of men and there is a battle for the souls of women and those men and women are your husbands and your wives and your children and your neighbors and your co-workers. There is a war going on. Can I get an amen in this house? So it's important that we understand who God is, not just so that we'll understand Him better, but because we were created in His image so that we would understand ourselves better, to understand more about why we're here, and in the process, help us to discover uh, His purpose for our lives on this planet. You see, our God is a warrior, but He created us to be His warriors, to stand in the gap for the righteous causes that are going on around us. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about from the Scriptures. In the Old Testament, there was a time when the nation of Israel had turned its back on God. The people of God had turned their backs on God, and the result was the nation was filled with poverty and sickness and moral decay and, and political tension. It was a dark time in the nation of Israel. And here's what this loving, merciful warrior God said to the prophet Ezekiel 
Uh, at that time, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, I like the way the message paraphrases it. He said, I look for someone to stand up for me against all this, to repair the defenses of the city, to take a stand for me, and to stand in the gap to protect this land so that I wouldn't have to destroy it. I could find no one, not one. You get the essence of what he's saying? He's saying, I love this nation, but my holiness makes it impossible for me to ignore their sinfulness. I don't want to judge them, but I have to. His compassion said, I don't want to. His holiness required that he do. And so what he did, he pleaded for somebody to come stand in the gap so he wouldn't have to. I don't want to bring judgment. I need somebody to step up and do something about what's going on. And how many warriors did he find? Hello, are you awake? How many warriors did he find? None. There were plenty who were able. There were none who were willing. Does anybody see a parallel in our nation? Now, let me be clear. I am an American, and I am proud of it. I've, Kim and I have ministered on three continents, and, uh, and anytime we're, especially, in, especially we're outside this country, and we see an American flag, we get cold chills. We hear the stars and stripes, we cry. I mean, we, we are Americans and proud of it. But that does not mean that we're not honest about the faults of our great nation. And the reality is that once was a Christian nation is turning into a nation that has largely turned its back on God. The result is that we're seeing economic collapse that's impacting the entire world, driven by a lack of integrity in our corporate circles. Political tensions are so deep that our leaders are deadlocked because they care more about who gets to win and which party's in control than they do about actually doing something about the problems that we face. And the church is virtually deadlocked believing that they have nothing to say about what's going on. And Hollywood has managed somehow to relegate what once was the heart of this great nation into the fringe, the fanatics. If you're a Christian, you're a fanatic now. The result is our nation's in trouble. And the families that make it up are struggling. It's filled with hurting people and churches that are convinced that there's nothing they can do about it. Now hear me. I, you're already saying, boy, I sure am glad Pastor Farrell brought Dr. Wall in because he's just an encouraging word kind of guy. Man, I'm just so glad I came to church today. I did not come to bring you down. But I did come to ask the question, is there anybody in this house who will stand in the gap for our great nation? Let me rephrase it. Are there any warriors in this house? Yeah, I believe that there are. And so in the few minutes that I've got with you, and I promise to get you out before the big restaurant rush, okay? I promise. I'll do my best. And in closing... <laughs> which means absolutely nothing except we finished the introduction now we're going to do the message let me tell you three things three simple principles about this warrior spirit that God created in all of us and then I want to challenge us all to step up and find that worthy cause that's worth investing your one and only life in three simple principles you ready for them you want them let me tell you what they are. Principle number one simply is this. Godly warriors need a righteous cause to fight for. Let's say it together. Godly warriors 
need a righteous cause to fight for. One more time. Godly warriors need a righteous cause to fight for. The truth is God put a need in every one of us to find something bigger than ourselves to invest our lives in. And when we find a cause to invest in, something happens inside of us. In fact, when we see someone else step in to the fray and take up a cause, there's something that excites us. I mean, you, you can tell that from the TV shows that we watch and the movies that, that we watch. Is it true? What are, what are the biggest grossing movies, the movies that make the big bucks? What are those movies? Well, do you know what they are? I mean, you do know, you do, you do understand there's only two categories of movies on the planet, right? Two categories. There's chick flicks. And then there's movies where stuff blows up. I mean, those are the two. Come on, ladies, let me let you in on a little secret. Sorry, guys, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. Your man will go with you to see a chick flick, but it is 90 minutes of agony. And the only reason he will go is he hopes it will lead to kissing afterwards. That's it. That's all. That's why he's there, Okay. What are the, oh, come on, don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. What are the big movies? What are the ones that have made the monies? It, it's, it's Star Wars, one, two, three, four, five, six. It's Lord of the Rings, one, two, three. It's Spider-Man, one, two, three. It, it's Rocky, one, two, three, four, five, six, 72, 77, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, even the greatest hero movie of all time, The Passion of the Christ. This is what it's about, is somebody stepping into the fray and doing something against all odds. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, that's, that's the greatest hero story ever told. Okay, I admit it, I admit it, the biggest money-making movie was Titanic, and it was, it was a chick flick, but at least the hero died, okay? <laughs> Kim and I went to see Titanic, and uh, there's a lady sitting behind us who, when it became apparent that there was a problem with the ship, began to cry softly. And as the movie progressed and it became clear that the ship was going to sink, she began to sob. When it got to the place that it looked like, you know, people are starting to fall off the boat into the water, she's, <laughs> you know, she's all to pieces now. She's just, she, she cried a gallon of tears. And, and my, you know, my patience is, is, I'm a very patient man. Um, At one point, though, I wanted to turn around and say, lady, it's a true story. Did you not know the boat sank before you came in here? <laughs> Surely somebody told you the boat sank 100 years ago. Okay, come on. But you get what I'm saying? We love to watch a hero sacrifice and make a difference. Something stirs inside of us when that happens. First time I saw a gladiator and Russell Crowe reached down and picked up the dirt and he said, Brothers, what we do will echo across eternity. I jumped up in the theater and said, Hallelujah! <laughs> oh, I, no, I thought I was in church there for a minute. Man, when I saw Braveheart, I was close to God. I just, you, you, you've seen, maybe you've seen the scene. You got the Scots, ragtag bunch of ordinary people 
over on this side of the field, you know, just a few hundred of them. And over on the other side of the field, there's 10,000 British soldiers in all their finery and weaponry, obviously outnumbered 10 to 1, 20 to 1. And the Scots are starting to get nervous, and some of them are starting to break ranks. And William Wallace rides out on his horse in front of them. And, and I, you know, I remember vividly what he said. He said, fight and you may die. Run and you will live, at least for a while. But dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this until that to come back here this day and say to those men, you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. Man, I'm just, I'm jumping, I'm dancing, I'm doing old style Pentecostal stuff in the theater. I went to the army recruiters and tried to enlist. <laughs> I found out they didn't take white haired guys with blue paint on their face. I don't know why they turned me down, but you know, just something stirs up inside. Come on, if that doesn't stir your blood, get the person beside you to check your pulse and see. If there's any life in, in there. And, you know, when you give your life to Christ, that doesn't go away. If anything, that stirs up. I mean, look at the Scriptures. It's filled with those hero stories. Read the Bible. It's one of the best stories filled with stories of these kind of hero things. I mean, there's so many of them. But one of my favorites is Nehemiah. Nehemiah was, I mean, he had a job eating pie for a living. I mean, come on. That's, oh, there's a little danger because, you know, he ate the king's food first to make sure it wasn't poison, and I guess there was a little risk in his job. But other than that, he ate pie for a living. I mean, it's a pretty good job. But he found out about this cause. His hometown was in disarray, and enemies were attacking, and the defensive walls of the city were torn down, and he was broken by that cause. That cause affected him deeply. He grieved for months. Finally, that grief got so deep that he couldn't hide it from the king. Even though it was illegal to show sadness in front of the king, and the king could have you killed for it, he just couldn't contain it anymore. And so the king said, Nehemiah, what is going on, man? What is wrong? And Nehemiah said, how can I not be sad when my hometown is in such mess? i got to do something about it, sir. Please don't kill me, sir. And the king said, okay. And he gave him the resources and the provision to go. And Nehemiah went to his hometown, Jerusalem, and he rallied the people and said, come on, guys, let's clean up this mess. Let's build this wall. And he gave them a cause worth fighting for, a cause worth investing in. And they rallied together, and they began to rebuild the, the, these massive stone walls around the city. Huge undertaking. Ordinary people. But they rallied in unity around a cause. Got about halfway, though. They are getting tired. It's taking a long time. And then the enemies of the region are starting to whisper in their ears and telling them things like, you know, this is a lost cause. You know you don't stand a chance of succeeding. You know foxes are going to run on this wall and knock it down when you're done. You don't know what you're doing. Who do you think you are? 
they got discouraged and they got tired and Nehemiah had to rally them together and just picture with me now this ragtag people a group of people that have been trying hard for this cause they've committed to but they're getting discouraged and they're getting tired they've gathered together Nehemiah is standing in front of them I imagine that he rose to full height and stuck his arms out and said in a strong voice Nehemiah 4:14, don't be afraid of those people remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and fight for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes i can almost see him veins popping out of his neck saying come on guys are there any warriors in this city and they rallied and they came together and they finished what they started to do and in just 52 days they accomplished one of the most amazing engineering feats in all of human history. Why? Because a few people said, yes, I will take up the cause and I will not be discouraged from it. I will go after it. There's something inside of us that needs that to rise above the humdrum everyday stuff of life. In fact, we need it so badly. Let me teach you the second principle. Principle number one is what? Godly warriors need a righteous cause to fight for. Principle number two is what? Without a righteous cause worth fighting for, what will happen? We'll find wrong things to fight against. Because of this warrior spirit that was created in us by our creator God, our warrior God, we're going to find an outlet for that warrior spirit. We're going to direct it somewhere. And if we don't have a righteous cause, We'll fight wrong things. And that's why men like Hitler can rally a nation and almost conquer the world and kill six million Jews and do unthinkable things. That's why men like Osama bin Laden can get some young men to fly into World Trade Centers. That's, that's how that happens. Because if you don't have a righteous cause to fight for, you'll settle for unrighteous ones to fight against. But hear me, that principle doesn't just apply on a world scale. It applies to you. I've been pastoring for 40 none of your business years. And I've heard husbands say things to their wives that they wouldn't say to an enemy. And I've heard wives say things to their husbands that they would be embarrassed if I played them on the screens for you now. I've heard parents say things to their children that they lie awake later wishing they had not said. And children say things to their parents that they later say, I didn't really mean it. Why? Because there's a warrior spirit inside of us. And if we don't have a righteous cause to channel that spirit toward, we will settle for an unrighteous one. Churches do it all the time. I've been pastoring long enough that I've seen all kinds of stuff, but I learned this one really, really early. The first church that Kim and I pastored here in North Carolina, the first Sunday that we went there as pastor, we went, we attended the adult Sunday school class that morning and we're sitting on the back row, I would guess a dozen people or so in the class and a lady's up teaching and I don't remember what the lesson was about, but I do remember that uh, about halfway through the lesson she stopped and she said, oh, by the way, 
Pastor Jim Wall and his wife Kim are here today. They're our new pastors. If you haven't met them yet, be sure to say hi. He'll be preaching this morning, and they're going to be our, our pastoral couple. And, and so everybody said, hey, Jim and Kim, nice to have you guys. Glad you're here. And then she said, uh, Pastor, we probably should let you know that around here, uh, if we fight, um, we don't fight with each other. We fight with our pastors. I went, oh, okay. And she said, because we were here before you came, and we'll be here when you're gone. Ah, message received. And she was telling me the truth. <laughs> Second church that we served, I mean, there was a point in that particular church, we called a business meeting to decide to paint the sanctuary. You know, this way church sometimes does things. Lord Jesus, help us. Why did we do that? But anyway, we had a fight over whether to paint it white or ivory. <laughs> One of the deacon's wives got up and said, I'd sooner burn this building to the ground than see it painted anything other than white. You ready? Because our God is holy, and white is a holy color. <laughs> Give me a break. Another guy on the other side of the room got up and said, God don't care if we paint it Pepto-Bismol pink. He does want us to love him and love each other. Come on. <laughs> it is amazing what churches fight about. The second church we served, we had a fellowship dinner one night. And the ladies came to me and, and said, Pastor, you know, we don't, we don't have enough forks, knives, and spoons to have another dinner. Now, this is a small town church that, you know, we stayed connected by having monthly fellowship dinners. That's how we kept the church kind of united and, and bonded with each other. And so I said, okay, well, I guess we got a problem. So we did it again. We called a business meeting, and we got everybody together. And I said, guys, uh, we don't have enough forks, uh, spoons, and knives to, to have another dinner. And so I will entertain a motion <laughs> that we buy forks, knives, and spoons. Well, it's simple, right? I so move. Do we have a second? I second. Here's where I made my mistake. The floor is now open for discussion. <laughs> oh, shoot me now. <laughs> Jesus, take me home. <laughs> I mean, we went into 20 minutes of fighting over whether we should buy metal or plastic. I kid you not. And here's what's happening. The ladies wanted plastic because they knew they were the ones who would be stuck with washing the metal. And the guys wanted metal because you can't eat a steak with a stupid plastic fork and cut with a plastic knife. Not that I'm revealing which side of the conversation I was on. But <laughs> 20 minutes, 30 minutes goes by. We are dividing families. Wives are thinking about divorcing their husbands in the church. Women are starting to give their husbands the look. <laughs> and I'm, I'm begging for help up here. I'm, you know, young, starting out. I don't have a clue. Uh, Brother Jim was the patriarch of the church, kind of the senior guy that everybody kind of looked to. And so I'm just making eye contact with Jim, saying, Brother Jim, help me out here, do something. He finally stood up and he rubbed his belly for a minute and he said, well... 
reckon I don't have an opinion one way or the other. And he sat down. <laughs> well, what do we do now? <laughs> you do what any other self-respecting church would do. We formed a committee to study it and report back in 90 days. Now remember, we've been doing monthly fellowship dinners for years. That's what keeps this church bonded. We can't have another one until the committee reports. So we come back 90 days later with a report. You guessed it, the committee was divided between the men and the women on the committee. I finally said, Buy metal, I will wash them myself. And everybody clapped, and we went back to having dinners. The next dinner, I'm over there at the sink, I'm starting to wash. And the ladies say, you don't know how to do that. And they knock me out of the way, and they wash the silverware. But it's just amazing what churches fight about. We fight about whether you should dress up or down for church. And we fight about whether you should have guitars or organs in church. And we fight. It's amazing. And you understand that while we're fighting about this stuff that does not eternally matter, Satan's laughing all the way, taking our children into eternity. It's time to take up a cause that matters. The cause of the souls of the sons and daughters and husbands and wives and neighbors and co-workers that are around us who desperately need Jesus. Are there any warriors in this house? I believe there are. I believe I'm preaching to the choir this morning. I mean, it's the, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived had to struggle with this thing. I, he, when he first started out, he dedicated himself to a cause. It was destroy the church. His name was Saul. Later changed to Paul. But when he was Saul, Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Saul was going around everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. He killed and imprisoned Christians. Why? Because he had a warrior spirit, and that was his cause. And then he met Jesus, and everything changed. And he took up a righteous cause that was worth investing his life in, and the result was that he became the first missionary to the Gentile world, of which most of us in this room are eternally grateful. And he wrote nearly half of the New Testament, planted most of the churches in the New Testament period, and even preached to the household of Caesar himself. He knew what he was called to do. He gave his life for it, and he made a difference in his time that resonates to this day. So I got to ask, can you name your cause? I mean, if I have to ask you to take your connect card right now and just write your cause down, could you do it? Okay, maybe you got a cause that's lifelong. Maybe you got a seasonal cause. Maybe you got several causes, and you kind of prioritize what you give your time to. But but can you name your cause? Can I can I suggest a couple? It may be for some of you that the God, the cause God's calling you to stand in the gap for is your marriage. Satan's whispering in your ear, "This is a lost cause." Bail. And God sent this little white-haired preacher to come and tell you, it, your marriage is not a lost cause. It is a righteous cause, and it's worth fighting for. Maybe your kids are driving you absolutely crazy. They're making adult decisions with childlike maturity, and you're scared to death for them. 
and everything in you wants to move to Montana and raise chickens. <laughs> you too, huh? We raised three boys. One of them's here this morning. We know. And Satan whispers in your ear, this is a lost cause. You look him right back in the eye and say, this is not a lost cause. This is a righteous cause. And I will invest myself. I will stand in the gap for my children while they're making choices in life. Maybe, maybe it's your finances. Maybe on a day like this when, when a missionary comes from uh, Southeast Asia and tells you the amazing things that are going on, everything in your heart says, wow, I want to be a part of that. But I'm up to my neck in debt. And the creditors are calling, and I don't know how I could ever give into the kingdom. I'd love to be a part of a movement called the Acts 2 Network, but there's no way I can ever give to something like that. I'm so upside down in my finances. Maybe it's time that you look at the devil and say, enough is enough. I am winning this battle. I am declaring war on debt. I'm going to get out of debt, and I'm going to get myself in a place where I can invest in the kingdom of God for whatever cause he's called me to. I mean, you name the cause. I'm just making suggestions to see what might resonate for you. Well, Jim, you know, if you're so clear about this thing, what's your cause? I've already told you what my cause is. I love America. I love our great nation. And I believe God's called me to invest my life in looking for warriors who will stand in the gap for our nation. I believe it so strongly that 25 years ago, Kim and I started a church in Chesapeake, Virginia, with this simple message. There was a or group of ordinary people, ragtag bunch of folks 2,000 years ago, kind of like those Scotsmen on the field with the Brits facing them down, just ordinary people. Yeah, there was a, there was a doctor and a tax collector, and there were some fishermen, and there were some, some street walkers. I mean, they're just a whole ragtag group of people. But they rallied their hearts around this God-given vision and empowered by the Holy Spirit, this original group of what we now call the Acts 2 Church made a difference in their world and started a movement that you and I are still benefiting from. And so 25 years ago, Kim and I started a church with that passion. On the first Sunday of that church, 165 people came, 90% of them were unchurched before that day. And I just simply said, what if we could do what that original Acts 2 church did? What if we could cut through the complexities and the politics of church and stop fighting with each other and just start fighting the real enemy? What if we made the effort to be like they were? Could we make a difference in our world? And here now, 25 years later, there are 4,000 in that church, 60% of whom made their adult commitment to Christ at the church. But in 2007, God said to me very clearly, I didn't call you to start one church. I called you to start a movement. And that's why in January, having trained a young man, I turned that church over to a young man at a time when I could have ridden this thing for a very long time. I turned it over to Michael Brusicki, and in January, I started combing the nation and the nations, looking for a few warriors finding some people who have a warrior spirit that's willing to say, I will give my one and only life. And if you were watching the video before I came out here, God is doing amazing things. We can identify pastors and churches in eight countries now that are part of the Acts 2 network. God's doing incredible things. I was walking across the room just the other day, and, and somebody hollered out across the way. He said, hey, 
are you the guy that wrote unmuted? And I stopped and said, well, yeah, I am. He said, come here. Pastor of a Baptist church in Norfolk, Virginia, he said, man, our church was dying, and I didn't know what to do about it. And somebody gave me a copy of this book, and it rekindled my passion to be an Acts 2 church. Let me tell you what's happening in our little Baptist church. We're an Acts 2 church, he said. They've never formally joined a movement. They've never given us, uh, given us a dollar. I don't care. There's a movement afoot. God's doing something. So let me just be real clear to you today. If I can be blunt about this thing, I don't hesitate for a moment that the most eternally significant righteous cause that God may well be calling you to be a part of is the bridge. This church is making a difference in this region of the world and around the world. And I'm not embarrassed for a moment to say to you, it may be the spiritually most significant thing you ever do to lean in and not just be a spectator and not just be a consumer, but be a participator and a producer in this house. God is doing incredible things through the bridge. Can I ask one more time before I teach you the three principles? Are you ready for me? Are there any warriors in this house? I had a feeling there were. I see the clock. I'm going to let you go. Third principle, short and sweet. Make a point. Godly warriors need a righteous cause to fight for. Got it? Got it? If you don't find a righteous cause to fight for, what do you do? You'll settle for an unrighteous one and fight things you got no business fighting about. The third principle is this. The most vulnerable warrior in battle is the warrior who hesitates. Ask any soldier that's ever been in contact, a combat, and they will tell you that when you go out there, you cannot freeze, you will die. That your best shot of survival in combat is to move and to keep moving and to rage battle against your enemy. And yet, there are so many people sitting in so many churches across this land, who would agree with me when I said that we are a nation whose moral foundations are cracking, a nation in trouble? But when I say, are there any warriors in this house, I get a, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm really busy. Well, yeah, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of money. Well, yeah, but, you know, there are other people a lot more talented than I am. I've heard all of the excuses, okay? I've used most of them. The only question is, when God calls you into a righteous cause, whatever it is, will you hesitate out of a fear of failure? Or will you step up in faith? Here's what I know. A warrior hesitates when his fear of failure exceeds his faith in God. I believe there's some warriors in this house. I believe there's some people here that are willing to stand in the gap 
for the marriages that are represented here, for the sons and the daughters, for the neighbors and the co-workers, for, for the politicians, for the things that are going on around Wayne County and beyond. I believe there are some warriors in this house, but I believe there are some of you that are being called to step up and join this army, and you're hesitating. I believe God called me to say, don't hesitate. Because godly warriors need a righteous cause. And if they don't have a righteous one, they will settle for an unrighteous one and fight battles they got no business fighting. Ultimately, they are the most vulnerable in the battle. Don't hesitate. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for creating that warrior spirit inside of us all. We know it comes from you. Thank you, Lord, that there is something in us that craves a cause that is bigger than life itself and bigger than taking care of the mundane stuff of life. As important as that is, there's got to be eternal purpose that supersedes the day-to-day. So I pray simply that you would see us, know us, hold up a spiritual mirror so that we would see ourselves like you do and know ourselves a little more clearly. That in the process we would embrace that warrior spirit. Find the cause for which you put us on this planet. Fulfill it for your glory. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray. Pray silently, you can pray aloud. There'll be some prayer teams down front after the service. You can come pray with somebody this morning, but at the very least, pray this prayer with me, would you? All of you, would you? Thank you, Jesus, for the warrior spirit I see in you. Thank you that you created it in me. Show me the cause to which you have called me to invest my life. Out of that, I believe, I will find meaning and purpose and fulfillment. But more importantly, I will know that I've done something eternally significant with my one and only life. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name.